Welcome to the Expat Empire Podcast, the podcast where you can hear from expats around the world and learn how you can join them. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the Expat Empire Podcast. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that we're offering a free consulting call to anyone interested in moving abroad. Whether you're thinking about retiring somewhere warm, starting an international career, or becoming a digital nomad, we're ready to help you think through the next steps in your journey. Send us a message at expatempire.com to schedule your call today. With that said, let's start the conversation. Hey, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Expat Empire podcast. Yeah, Dave. I appreciate it. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I know we talked a while ago back about your time in China, and I'm super excited to talk about it today. I've been wanting to get you on the podcast since then, but for one thing or another, just scheduling difficulties on my side, it hasn't happened. So really happy that we had the time to catch up today after so many years and also to really dive into your story because I think I found out a lot about it. I, I learned a lot about you and about your opportunities and your experience, but I think our guest uh, listeners will get a ton out of it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So if you could tell me a bit about your background and where you're originally from, where around the world you've lived so far and where you're living right now, that would be great just to get us started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my family, we're actually from New Orleans, uh, Louisiana, here in the States. And I grew up there till I was about five or six. And then I moved over to a small town in Alabama called Spanish Fort. This is uh, towards the Gulf Coast. And uh, this is actually uh, how I we got to meet each other. Exactly. Um, and so anyway, I, I grew up here. Uh, in southern Alabama for most of my life. And it wasn't until I was 25 that I decided to move out to China, um, which I'm sure the reasons why we'll get into in a little bit. <laughs> sure. But uh, anyway, so I, I lived out there for four years and I just recently returned. I say recently, uh, I, I returned back in the fall of 2019. Mm -hmm. And I have since. I moved to LA in August of last year and I returned to Alabama around Christmas time. And that's kind of where I'm at currently. All right. Good stuff. So yeah, for all the listeners out there, <laughs> so Jeff and I basically grew up together. I guess it's fair to say that at least I feel like it. Um, oh, no, no, no question. <laughs> so we went, I, at least for me, I lived in yeah Mobile, Alabama, Spanish Fort for what was it first grade through the start of or through the end of seventh grade so through that time i don't even remember how we met obviously it's too far back in the day but we got to be right. friends down the street from each other and um so it's really awesome to be able to reconnect with jeff but also to be able to hear his story and all of his experiences abroad so from my perspective knowing you back in the day and obviously people changed a ton and there was so many years between when i left uh that area and when you went to china but while you were, you know, maybe, and it's too probably too hard to figure this out when someone's in seventh grade, for example, but while I saw you as kind of, a, you know, a fun, interesting, curious person, I wouldn't have pegged you at that point as being the guy who would have gone all the way to China. So even from my own, you know, interest and perspective and understanding that transition, it'd be great just to, to hear about the reason that you decided to move there, how it all came together, where your interests came from. And just those first months when you were, you know, deciding to move to China, and then when you were getting set up there. Yeah, and and actually, uh, to be fair, I never pictured myself to do what I had done either. 
honestly i, I would have never predicted that yeah because because prior you know prior to 2015 uh, or at least you know growing up middle school high school and even in my early 20s i had no connection no relationship to anything anything china the way that it came about actually i believe uh so i was actually there was a time in uh i believe i would have been roughly 23 20 yeah roughly 23 24 years old and i actually was helping a friend of mine a friend of mine that was uh living in in new york city at the time and he was actually teaching uh esl to students usually from southeast asia but you know also china and, and some other areas across the world and he had a a student um from china and, and he teaches online by the way so he had a, a student from China that was trying to pass the uh, the oral portion of the IELTS exam, and she was definitely kind of having a hard time just reaching that uh, that certain level that she was trying to hit, and was curious if you know if I had any extra time on my hands, if I'd be willing to uh, you know to kind of help her out a little bit. Anyway, yeah, of course I I agreed, and so uh, after work I would occasionally have a session with her, and you know it was usually it was a very you know casual affair there where i mostly we just talked on topics i helped her with grammar and things like that and however the i remember the i recall the first lesson we ever had she uh she's you know she said you know do you do you know any chinese and actually i was embarrassed to say i i didn't even know how to say hello and that, that's just the truth i didn't even know how to say hello in chinese you know and i told her that i said no unfortunately i i don't really know any chinese and she said you know you should you should really look into it it's it's, <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful language you know, and, and just just to kind of, uh, you know, and I said, yeah, you know, maybe if I have some free time, I'll, I'll check it out. So I remember after our first lesson that weekend, I, just to amuse her, I, I decided that, uh, yeah, you know, I'll I'll study a little bit and see if I can't surprise <laughs> her for next lesson. Right. And so anyway, as I'm looking it up, I'm just immediately just intrigued uh, with the language and I found it to be extremely fascinating. And, and even since I was little, you know, even probably since you, you know, you and I were, were great friends and we, we knew each other best that I've always been into things that are very challenging. I'm always intrigued by challenge. And so, and of course that was just naturally Chinese presented that, that challenge for me. And so I, I started to, from that point, I started to learn Chinese kind of as a hobby, uh, something on the side, and I believe she had, you know, on and gone on and, and, and passed her exam. And um, but even after those those sessions that we had, I was still you know, learning on the side. So that was the first puzzle piece. That was the, the first, you know, uh, start there. And then the the next big, I'd say, chapter would be again. I'm I'm still working at this music school, and you know, I, like I mentioned previously, that I'm from a small town. And I remember we had gotten a new student registration um, online with the last name of Joe, but not like uh, you know the the common English spelling of like uh, J O E. We're talking about Z H O U. And so I knew that was a, a Chinese uh, surname. So I thought uh, maybe it'd be kind of at least entertaining for me if I uh, kind of welcomed them in Chinese on the on their first day. And so, and sure enough, they, they, you know, they came by, I, I welcomed them in Chinese and they were, you know, I, I remember speaking specifically with the mother of the student whose, whose name is, her English name is Rose. 
and uh, we hit it off immediately. We just became great friends. Uh, she was really impressed with how far I'd come, just kind of on my own. Yeah, we we became great friends. I would go over to their house, and um, you know, I I started to, of course, because they were also new to the area too. They had just moved from China, and um, their English proficiency definitely was not that great. So there was a lot of obstacles that I was kind of able to help them with. And but yet uh, also kind of you know this was never really spoken you know or agreed to but uh, I think kind of in turn they started to help me learn and and work on my Chinese mm-hmm. and that was like a once a week thing I'd kind of come over after work I'd start to learn a little bit of Chinese and then that turned into three times a week and then that turned into every day oh, I, wow. I'd come over every day and just yeah start studying really hard and it was about at this point. That I knew this is something that I wanted to do. I knew this is what I wanted to do. So, so how long? Sorry, how long was it until that transition from when you first learned a word of Chinese until you decided this? You're probably talking about maybe six, seven months Mm -hmm. or so. You know, of kind of learning on my own, and then I I start to befriend this family, and yeah, we became very close, and it it was through kind of her tutelage and just. You know, her inspiring me. I I knew that because there's one thing that I was kind of paired with this this whole transition is I've always had this feeling that I don't want to be that old man on my deathbed with regrets, mm. sp- specifically of what I have not done mm-hmm. or what I wish I did but I didn't do. I, I can live with things I've done, you know, you know, wish I did things differently, but the things I haven't done, those are the worst. So I knew that you know at that time. I think then I was going on 27. I believe I was 26 at the time, going on 27. And I had to make a decision. Mm. Uh, I was like, well, because um, at the time I'd already finished my two years at university. Mm. And I decided that, sure, I could attempt to go to China and just finish my bachelor's. However, I knew that studying a language is going to require more than, than a two-year stint. You know, I, I wanted to get fully immersed. Hmm. I wanted to come out, you know, at, with a, as high a proficiency in Chinese as I could possibly get. So, yeah, that's when I, I decided, okay, I'm I'm going to look into universities in China. And so that was kind of the uh, that uh, that first step. But even that, of course, has a backstory. So, you know, now I need to decide where to go. You know, which university, which province do I want to go to? So that um, actually opens up another really big chapter um, <laughs> of, of my life there is where I roughly once a month to give myself a native environment to practice my Chinese. There was a Chinese Christian fellowship that would meet up once a month. And my connection with this fellowship was through Rose. And I met a, a, girl, that, a girl there by the name of Sean May. And she uh, was, she and I became great friends immediately. Um, she was originally from China. I think she was doing an au pair stint here. And, you know, with, with this area being a relatively small town, I think she didn't have many friends nor many opportunities to make friends. So we became great friends um, right off the bat. And she was very intrigued that I was learning Chinese. And that's kind of how, of course, we became, you know, so close so, so quickly. She helped me also a little bit with my Chinese, and and I kind of you know showed her around the area, and you know we you know had some did some fun things together to make a 
a long story short, we have that that relationship definitely blossomed into like a full fledged um, you know relationship. So at that time, we were already starting to make some plans because she her stint there with the, that that au pair gig was coming to an end, mm. and she was going to have to move back uh, to China. But meanwhile, at that time, I think I was roughly six months away from you know having to join you know join classes. Uh, for the fall semester there at a you know at a Chinese university, so I was already in the process of deciding where to go. Now for her, she graduated from a university called Sun Yat-sen University in Mandarin. It's Zhongshan Dashue, and it's a at least it was, and I think it still is a top ten university in China. It's a very prestigious school, and she she highly suggested that I, I tackle this first. I go after this university first. Luckily for me, I found out that the application process, especially for a uh, exchange or not exchange student, but a, for a foreign student, was uh, pain free and, and easy. It, it was more or less like, "Hey, are you are you willing to pay tuition? <laughs> you are yeah. okay. Come on down." Right. right? <laughs> um, now their their requirements have since changed. Um, however, at that time, I guess I got lucky. I did not have to take such as the uh, HSK proficiency exams. I did not have to provide any of that. Um, so I was able to go with a, a fairly elementary base, you know, comprehensive, but still, I'd say, elementary uh, base for, for Chinese language. But that worked out perfectly for multiple reasons. I would say that, uh, for one, it, uh, the climate is very similar to my hometown. Mm. So I knew that I don't have to, it's not like I'm going to someplace cold. I'm not going to like Beijing or someplace like that, where it's really cold and frigid. Uh, for me, you know, like that would feel nice. It's a 100% humidity every day. <laughs> so I'm used to that. However, the the other reason too is that for her she's originally from a province called Hubei, which is in central China. However, her family had moved to, or her two older sisters had moved to Shenzhen, mm-hmm. which was also a, a stone throw um, from Sun Yat-sen University, which was located in Guangzhou, China. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Let me let me go after that. And in any way, the application process, like I mentioned, was easy. I got accepted right away. And before you know it, I was off. You know, I said, and then that's when I knew I had my direction. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of how that, uh, that at least started. Right, yeah. right. No, it's a wonderful story. And you can see how all, like you're saying, the different puzzle pieces come together to form that bigger plan, right? And sometimes if you're, if you're in the right mindset, right, you can just start to attract those things. You can start to find those opportunities, those puzzle pieces, and then to create that opportunity for yourself. So I'd love to know what it was like in your first couple of months there. Just, I, I guess you hadn't even been to China before, right? So, well, actually, and, and that's something I failed to mention. I had been to China once to, because uh, me and Sean May were at the time were separated for, I believe, five five or so months, and so we took the opportunity, um, which worked out brilliantly, honestly. Where we decided, well, well, how about I go out to Shenzhen? I fly to China. Go ahead and you know dip my toes in the pool, and uh, get a feel for it, meet her family, things like that. And so I did do that for roughly uh, two weeks. Mm. And of course, that was where the 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 culture shock came from a tourist standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, now there was way more culture shock waiting for me once I moved, <laughs> of course. Of course. But so anyway, prior to truly moving out there, yes, I, I was there for for two weeks. Which was which was definitely fun, but uh, yeah, I, I I did once I eventually moved out there. Actually, that's a story in and of itself. Um, you couldn't have really painted a worse scenario, where you know I've got everything set to go and I'm ready to fly out and move to China for the next four years of my life. 
And uh, I remember waking up the morning at the time. I think I was flying out of the uh, the New Orleans um, Louis Armstrong Airport, Mm -hmm. international airport. And that morning I woke up and I remember having kind of like a scratchy throat, kind of not not feeling that great. Right. right? So, um, but you know, you know me, I'm I'm not thinking much of it. At the time, it felt fairly harmless. However, things started to escalate pretty quickly um, as we got to the uh, airport. I was I was definitely not feeling that great. But again, you know, I was not to be deterred. Right. So, uh, you know, plus, you know, things are already in motion at this point. You know, I just need to get my butt on the plane. Yeah. So anyway, I remember I bought a hoodie there in the airport and, you know, I've got my carry on and everything and I, and I hop on the plane. Well, for that very long flight, without question, I've got the flu. Yeah. Like it, it, this, this, this escalated very rapidly and I had just a terrible fever on the plane. I've got chills. I've got aches. I'm like shivering on the plane. I, I was, it was miserable. And meanwhile, I remember thinking that Sean May is going to receive a very sick me. Right. You know, I know she's excited. She hadn't seen me in months, but she's going to receive a very sick me. And um, so I, I arrived there. And anyway, luckily, um, you know, when I got there, I'm, I'm already experienced. Like I'm half sick, half like experiencing some crazy culture shock because the the location. Because I she was also tasked with finding a place for us to live. Um, you know, we were not living with her folks or, or her sister or anything like that. So yeah, um, we. Uh, I remember you know being on the plane and feeling extremely sick, um, terrible. I've got aches. I definitely have the flu. I know I've got the flu. Um, high fever. I've got you know sh- I'm shivering practically for you know half the flight. Couldn't sleep. And I remember thinking you know I know that Sean May is, is so excited to receive me. You right. know we haven't seen each other in months. But what she doesn't know, and I have no way to actually tell her, is I'm extremely sick, you know. Yeah. And so anyway, um, I arrive. She sees me. You know, we we embrace, and and I immediately just kind of told her, you know, I said like I'm I am not doing well. I'm like quite sick. And at the time, I don't think she knew or could understand the gravity of what I was saying. I think she just felt like, oh, like I'm a little under the weather. But I'm like, no, I f- I feel like death. But anyway, um, you know, we've got at this point, we've got all my luggage in the taxi. And we're already heading to our um, our apartment. Now, previously, I, I kind of tasked her with finding us a place to live. I wanted to find a place that was relatively close to the university. And, uh, you know, that way, ideally, I could walk to work or at least, you know, maybe it's a, a subway station or two, just a couple hops away. And so anyway, she had found a place that was within our budget, which was very low at the time. And... You know, and I remember it being late at night, and the taxi is, you know, pulling up to our community, and I'm so out of it. I'm so sick that I'm, I can, I'm not really even paying attention to where we are, like what things look like. And I remember, you know, thinking that this is already a kind of a nightmare scenario, <laughs> um, but it didn't get better because I remember, like, you know, getting out of the taxi and, you know, helping. The gentleman get my luggage out of the um, the back of the car, and then I see this this dingy, like you know, extremely old looking building. And she's like, "Well, we're up there," and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> and we're walking through these really dark, like uh, hallways. I think our uh, our place was on the second floor, and I'm seeing just like running wires, exposed wires everywhere. It was just it was nuts. It was very chaotic. And then, you know, I remember we had the steel gate 
that was blocking our way to you know, in the hallway. Some guy installed a steel gate, so we had to open that up. And then, you know, of course, we've got the door to our uh, our unit. You know, we open that up. It's extremely tiny. It you know, it looks extremely old. And I remember the only thing I want to do is I just want to you know lay down. I just want right, to sleep. Right. And so I laid down, and luckily, you know, that night I was really concerned because I think uh, all the pharmacies were closed at that time because it was really late at night. Uh, the only other option would have been to go to the hospital. However, you know, at that time, I, I definitely was was not uh, exactly in a hurry to test uh, Chinese hospitals out. Yeah. You know, at that time. Yeah. You know, so I I was like, well, let me just see if I can kind of wait this out for a little bit. And let's just see how this evolves. And luckily, later that night, my fever broke. You know, as far as like, I think the the roughest part um, was absolutely that night. But the next night, I think, uh, or the next day, Sean May had had so much planned mm. um, that we were going to meet the family. The family had already <laughs> had stuff being prepared, and her family lives in Shenzhen, so this means we have to take a train. And I'm already like, you know, I've flown across the world. I've got crazy jet lag. I'm sick. But uh, you know, apparently that that still didn't really hit home with her. She's like, you know, let's go, go, go. <laughs> So anyway, you know, probably against my better judgment, I, I didn't protest too much. And, um, you know, and off we went to see our family and everything. So obviously, like the first, my first experience was awful. It was absolutely awful. I'm thinking, this is where I'm going to live. And um, you know, this is going to be terrible. Um, I feel terrible. You know, I'm not, I'm not regretting it, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm really in for something. Right. So, so how much do you think it's worth to read into those types of signs if you want to call them that or is it nothing at all and it's just a bump in the road i mean of course you can look at it different ways but i i feel like when things are supposed to happen the pieces fall together like you're talking about on the one hand the puzzle pieces that came together on the other hand they really came together you know you, yeah. you have this like really difficult introduction which you know you can't really control getting a flu or this or that the day of the of it but do you do you read into it any further than that or is it simply just a bump in the road no, I've, you know, I, it, it's funny because I'm actually going to contradict this a little bit later, but uh, I've, I've never been uh, a superstitious person. I don't read into signs too much. Um, however, without a doubt, I, I, I definitely picked up on, you know, how, what a blessing it was to have so many, like you mentioned those, you know, and I mentioned that those pieces, they came together. They absolutely, every single one needed to come together for me to be where I was and to do what I've done. but that first experience, it was almost, to me, it almost felt like a test. Mm -hmm. It's all like, you know, do you really want this? You know, <laughs> but I remember always having the mindset of, and I still to this day don't understand how I was able to do it. But I remember telling myself to, you know, the days leading up to, to moving out to China, I remember telling myself that don't, you know, don't back out of this. Mm -hmm. And if anything, don't even think about it. You know, just put your butt on the plane. And then once you're in China, whether you hate it or you love it, you're there, right? you know, like, and, and then, you know, like that's, and that's, I've done that with a lot of things in my life where if there's something that I knew I wanted to do that I, I had a way of just not thinking about it too deeply or trying, you know, giving myself any, you know, area to talk myself out of it. Instead, it's like, you know, put yourself there, deal with the things you're going to hate because you're going to get past it. And, and, and I always did. Mm -hmm. And I think that was another one of those cases is that I, I had no idea that's what was waiting for. Yeah. Me. Yeah. But um, it felt like a test, and of course, it's something that I I did uh, overcome. But without a doubt, I would say my my first year in China was the roughest. Not only from a being exposed to culture, the fact that my language wasn't really uh, as proficient as I'd like it to be, 
But it was the worst living conditions I've ever had in my entire life, mm. bar none. And I doubt I'll ever have worse living conditions <laughs> than the first place I lived. Let's, let's hope not. <laughs> uh, so to paint the picture is, and this is a typical day, you know, not just a bad day. This is a typical day. You know, we, we've, we've got a couple issues going on all the time. We've got roach issues that we cannot fix. We've got, uh, for example, there's some. Uh, most of the windows were had these iron cast frames that I think had rusted to the point that they couldn't quite shut. This led to a lot of mold issues. Mm-hmm. We were fighting mold all the time. This was another terrible thing. We had a faucet in the bathroom that had pressure issues. Mm-hmm. That it could be in the middle of the night, and you'll hear just a screaming sound that probably could wake up the entire community. It was that loud. Not even being dramatic. It was a terrible. And so, of course, we'd have to go there and I'd have to get a wrench and I'd have to like tighten it. And, you know, that was definitely a, a nightmare. But the, one of the worst parts about it is we had rat problems. Mm. And so I'd have to set rat traps, you know, these sticky traps over the floor every night before I went to bed. I'd wake up and, you know, on my way to school, I've got my backpack on and I've got like two rat tacos you know, these flypaper, I've got them folded, you know, and I've got to throw them away. Oh. And this was every morning, you know, that we've got, I'm, I'm waking up to rats. Um, we're having mold issues. It was terrible. It was definitely a, you know, an older community. Uh, we were not paying much for it, you know, and, and I think there's a, a lot of people that would absolutely hate this experience. Mm. And, and there's parts of it, you know, that absolutely I, I, I hate it, to be honest. But, you know, the one thing that I learned through a lot of the things that I experienced in China was just my ability to adapt, mm-hmm. um, which is something I never knew about myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, you know, even, even you too, that you could maybe relate that there's some things just traveling abroad, you know, and, and going out into the unknown. Either you discover how adaptable you are or you see yourself evolving, like, you know, for your own eyes, right. that, you right. know, that, that adaptability. You know, in my experience, as far as my living conditions, they it always got better year to year. We moved out. Um, in fact, I, I remember this is like almost like a perfect send off, um, a perfect ending to that chapter. Actually, towards uh, that at the end of that first school year, uh, Sean May and I we came back to the states to visit my family for a little bit for the summer. We came back, our entire unit was flooded. Mm. Like just 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 to like cap it off. And I remember we were we're exhausted, we're tired, but actually that day. Where normally the only thing you want to do is sleep. We actually just dropped. There's a little dry patch right in front of the door. We dropped off our luggage and we just went apartment hunting immediately. And um, we moved that day. That day we moved. Like so, we're like, no, we're done with this place officially. But do you think it was? Do you think it was related to having been back to see your family and realize sort of the severity of the situation by comparison, or what do you think it was? Are, are you talking about like just the, uh, yeah, moving? Like, why didn't why didn't you move earlier? I guess is my question. Well, the the main reason why we didn't move earlier is it was definitely for financial constraints. Mm-hmm. You know, we we said early on that we were going to be financially independent. Mm-hmm. We're not going to rely on family. We're not going to rely on anybody. And so, of course, like for me, I had to look into finding work. Mm-hmm. Um, also, she was teaching Chinese online at the time, which was always a, a you know. It was a very rocky, it had highs, it had lows where, you know, she had many students to maybe one or two students a week, you know, so, so things were definitely rough to starting out mm. without a doubt. Things were kind of rough financially, 
So we just didn't really have that financial freedom right. to just say, you know what, we're done with this place. Right. But um, despite how bad it was in that first year, there were some amazing things that not only happened, of course, in that first year, but even within that community, that was the first time I I remember I was great with my neighbors. I loved my neighbors. We were really close and they were great people. And I remember also it was the first time that I ever had like the most famous liquor in China mm. is called Baijiu, mm-hmm. which is it literally translates to this white clear liquor. And um, so anyway, I've, I've heard a lot about it and stuff. And actually, this is a, a pretty good story, too, where they had this convenience store within our community. And uh, the the owner there, he he knew me because I'm, I'm the only foreigner right. in the entire community, which, by the way, foreigners were not allowed to live there, which we did not know prior. Um, and that, that was a, a really long discussion with uh, property management and the security guards, because originally I think that entire area was supposed to be somewhat of a dormitory situation for a government-owned company mm. that they, they kind of lease out. So that was a whole issue in and of itself. But, uh, but anyway, so everyone knew me because I, I stuck out, of course. Yeah. Um, I remember one night, um, I believe uh, Sean May was visiting uh, her family in Shenzhen. I was alone. And I went down to the convenience store within the community to grab a drink. And they, uh, I remember that they were sitting on these plastic little stools, which you'll find like in, in every convenience store in China. Um, and they were just sitting there just having a couple of drinks. You know, it was late at night. Uh, you know, there wasn't really much business coming in. And they, they, you know, they said, hey, you know, have a seat, you know, and join us. And they said, have you ever had Baijiu before? And I said, uh, said, no. And they said, well, tonight's your night. And I said, well, all right, fantastic. And so anyway, I, I remember, you know, having a couple glasses with them. And I think after every glass, they're looking at yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, they're, they're testing me, like saying like, okay, how's, how's he holding up? And then after like my third or fourth one, they were just like absolutely shocked. Yeah. They're like, wow, like you can really hold your liquor. And I said, well, I, I suppose. I said, you know, I'm, I said, to be honest, I'm a little underwhelmed. Yeah. You know, and I said, I, and I, I hate to say that. I had to be honest. You know, I had yeah. to be candid. Yeah. And, but it, I remember I said, I eventually just said, you know, guys, it's been fun, but I, I guess I'm going to go back to my place. And I was walking back to my building, walking up the stairs to that second floor, which was uh, where my apartment unit was. And I remember starting to feel a little bit of something. Mm-hmm. A little bit of buzz. Yeah. So I'm thinking, and I remember, I remember actually clapping a little bit and saying out loud, oh, there you are. <laughs> you know, because I remember being so disappointed. The next thing that I remember, I woke up halfway on my couch. The other half is on the floor <laughs> and my front door is wide open the entire night. Doors just wide open. And so that was kind of a, a funny experience. <laughs> that was my first introduction to Baijiu, um, but not the last. But yeah, so the the first year, of course, had some very difficult tests, yeah. some de- very difficult trials, but also uh, had some just amazing memories that I'll never forget. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So how was it to be focused on studying your Chinese there? I guess that was most of what you you know did with your day, but to actually go and then be in a formal program, you know, taking your sort of comprehensive but elementary. Chinese and trying to turn it into the level that you want it to be. Can you talk us through what that process was like for you? Absolutely. Um, so like I mentioned previously, that I had a, a nice foundation. Um, and the one thing that I'll always be grateful for is not only for that foundation that um, both you know I cultivated, but also um, Rose, my, my friend back here stateside, helped me out with so much. Is, but also, they are originally from Northeast China. Um, not too far from Beijing. So that usually means that their Mandarin is pretty standard. Mm-hmm. 
And one thing that I like to say, and you know, and some people may disagree with me on this, but I like to say that Mandarin Chinese is not anyone's mother language. Mm-hmm. Most Chinese mother language comes from a dialect. Um, and this is honestly, you're looking at, I mean, roughly 90, 95%. And the reason why I say this is, you know, not only do they, you know, do you, do, do they grow up in an environment where they are speaking um, their dialect in the house, but also due to the, the, the working constraints uh, in China that most parents will leave small town China, go to big city China, leave the kids with the grandparents, where the grandparents can only speak their dialect. And then, you know, so kids have this exposure for many years. Um, so, so most Chinese grow up with a heavy influence from their dialect and not from Mandarin Chinese. Mm. So the reason why I like to highlight this is that what's nice about having, you know, Rose help me learn Chinese is that because she's from Northeast China, their dialect is very, very similar. It is a very close neighbor to Mandarin. And what this allowed is for me to develop a pretty good accent, mm-hmm. a, a pretty believable, natural um, pronunciation. So day one, I knew, you know, looking at my, uh, you know, my fellow classmates, which came from all across the world, that I was, I definitely had a leg up on everybody mm-hmm. when it came to pronunciation. And so the, the very first semester and, and year in general was basics. They start off with what's called pinyin, mm-hmm. which just means it's like a romanization of the Chinese uh, language. And it, you know, it allows you to mostly focus on both pronunciation and tones. So Chinese is a tonal language. And so we started off with some basics. We started off with basic grammar. But the one thing that I was a little shocked about is at least at my university, not a single class was taught using English. Hmm. It was Chinese from the get-go. It was a it was a very sink or swim right. uh, environment, which I, I I believe in. I I wholeheartedly believe in. And so you know, and and like you like you mentioned, yes, Chinese was absolutely the biggest focus of my you know my day to day routine. It's it's going to school. It's being a a full time student. And so the first year was um, I say the first year was if anything it was exciting. It, it definitely was challenging. There was definitely some challenges. You know. Uh, at least for me personally, I've always found Chinese grammar to not be too tricky mm-hmm. outside of a, a few small points. Um, the biggest issue is just, you know, rote memory, mm-hmm. you know, re- remembering how to write um, characters, you know, how not only how to pronounce something, but uh, the tone for each word has got to be correct. You know, all of these things requires so much rote memory. And I think that was definitely the, the hardest part um, starting out. Right. Uh, right. No question. And of course, with every subsequent year, things really ratcheted up. Um, it definitely. But another thing that also was, I think, was good for me, was healthy for me, is it was actually the second year. We had a, a, a whole new wave of classmates that tested into the class, and most of these are, you know, Chinese ethnicity, but they are from other countries. So maybe they speak Chinese at home with mom and dad, but may you know, but they they were raised in, 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 say, Thailand, Indonesia, um, Vietnam, places like this. So then I went from feeling like I'm ahead of, you know, head of my class <laughs> to like, whoa, okay, now, right. now I've got some serious competition, and, um, which, was, which was definitely good for me. But yeah, without a doubt, the, 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 first, the first year was tricky, but it was fun. Mm-hmm. It was only fun for me. I, you know, I, I think that it's, it was exciting because right. that's, you know, anytime that 
you you go somewhere and you've got a mission. The moment you get your hands dirty, I mean, that's when you're having fun, you know. Right. And so that's that's definitely how I would describe my first year, educationally speaking, was that was fun. But uh, but I still felt outside of those school walls, I still felt that my Chinese was not proficient enough to converse very comfortably. Mm. Um, of course, I could say I could order food, any you know of the just rudimentary day to day things. I could I could do more or less. Some things I might struggle on. Some things I had just gotten used to. But that was probably the most stressful part of the first year. Yeah. Was the fact that you know my proficiency just wasn't adequate enough. My language wasn't adequate enough to just live comfortably and ask things comfortably. And sometimes you even made sacrifices where you want to ask something in more detail, but you don't have the ability to express. Right. So you sometimes kind of you you live life by connecting dots, you know, by you know getting only a partial picture, which of course only improved uh, over time. So how would you say it improved then after the first year? And when did it get to the point where you were able to converse more in depth or say the things and do the thing, say the things you want to say and do the things you want to do? Uh, yeah. So that, that's a great question. I would say my my second year in China, my my second uh, school year, was definitely. Um, I'd say a big improvement. You know, I'd say almost my entire first year. You know, I felt like I had learned a lot. But maybe you know, for anyone that has studied language, you'll know that that first uh, that first leg of study, you feel like you've consumed so much knowledge, but it's really just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And I know that can be frustrating for for a lot of people, including myself, where I felt like I I you know I'd really grown my vocabulary, but yet here I am, you know, going through through my day-to-day life and I'm running into issues where I can't express myself or I can't understand what's being said to me. But once this second year rolled around, you know, I definitely felt a difference. You know, now it wasn't like the uh, flip of a switch. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a, a a very gradual process. But I would say in my third year, that's when things definitely started to become more comfortable. Um for certain. I, I felt a, a massive leap there. And also, I would say at about that time, another thing that helped me uh, greatly was the fact that I was doing a lot more um, what they call jia jiao, which is actually going to other students' homes, traveling to their homes, and giving them a face-to-face one-on-one lesson, where previously I'd mostly done it online. And what this did for me is I had a lot of extra time conversing with parents and things like that. And, and just um, I had... I had better exposure to using the language um, where I'm by myself. You know, I can't say rely on my girlfriend. You know, a native Chinese right. to to help me. You know, it's really you know on my own. And you know, uh, some of my classmates would point out, it's like, oh, you know, studying Chinese must be so easy because your girlfriend's Chinese. <laughs> they love to say that, don't they? <laughs> they love to say that. And unfortunately, no. I mean, without a doubt, if I I've got some things that I just don't get. You know, I've I've got that uh, I've got access to you know someone that can definitely write the ship. But the the other thing though, and I think this goes with any relationship, you know, trying to teach a loved one mm-hmm. how to do something, you know, your patience is 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 paper thin. Right. And and I could definitely say that about hers. And so you know, as far as like you know, getting any kind of tutoring sessions from her, we tried it a time or two. It did not work. Yeah. So really, you know, I, I had to, despite the fact that I, you know, my, my girlfriend was Chinese, I 
I still felt like I had to go through that natural, just like I'm on my own um, growth. And it was in the third year that I felt a major improvement. Um, I had way more independence, you know, which was a very gratifying feeling because, you know, there's some things that I would leave up to her just because of, just for logistics reasons, um, you know, that she can do them way faster, way easier without any hiccups. Mm -hmm. And the third year, you know, I, I could, and I was doing just about, you know, just about everything. Wow. And so it was about that time that I really felt I made a massive improvement. But now that I've, I've gone through the entire university or almost the entire university experience there in China, I can still say that, at least in my opinion, I feel like four years isn't enough. Hmm. You know, I think even if I look at the top two, three students of our entire class, which were, you know, ethnic Chinese to begin with, um, even they absolutely had their limits uh, of things that they could do, especially, you know, on a, on a professional level mm -hmm. um, and then things like that, that, you know, we, we still felt like we had a good way to grow. And I would argue that our education that we received at Sunnyson University was, it was high level. Mm -hmm. It was competitive. It was high level. And uh, they demanded a lot from us. And even going through that, you know, I, I still felt like there was, there was some serious room to grow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and even some situations where even I, you know, be it uh, just, you know, my listening ability, there's still certain scenarios where maybe I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little confused in conversation, you know, depending on the topic, of course. Right, right. You know, the, the, the more niche, the more uh, or more professional a conversation leans, you know, then definitely you're going to you're going to find that you're not as adequate as you, you, you wish you were in that moment. Yeah, of course. And uh, you mentioned before some of the challenges on the financial side and, of course, with your first apartment and so on. So you mentioned as well doing some maybe house visits. Was that really related to your job? How did you – did you find work there? How did you make ends meet, essentially, between the two of you? Sure. So I remember, you know, even before I flew out and moved to China, I remember telling myself that I don't want to be like every – uh, expat mm -hmm. and just teach English. I, I don't want to do it. I want to find maybe uh, some other means, you know. But it didn't take long at all before I realized that this is absolutely the route. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely the route for multiple reasons. Um, the money's good, and China education is highly valued. It's a, it's it's an extremely valued industry. The second thing is that I was able to be my own boss, which was important because I've already got a hectic schedule with class and school. So to be able to teach and you know, and actually control my own schedule was definitely, it was crucial. And for me, I, I feel like, um, I definitely feel blessed. I took some chances on a couple opportunities mm -hmm. that ended up taking care of me for the rest of my, my, my stay mm -hmm. there in China. Um, so I started off on a website called italki, mm -hmm. um, that's I-T-A-L-K-I.com. And this was a platform that you can not only take lessons, like actual formal uh, you know, language lessons, but you can also find language exchange partners and things like that. So I started off teaching English on, on that portal in my first year, and uh, the income was not great. Not only that, but it was very hard to get to my Chinese bank account. Mm. Uh, you know, by the time that I had had things transferred, transferred, um, you know, I had been nickel to dime and dime to death. Right. However, it was on that platform that I met, and this is a very fateful meeting, but there was, um, and at that time I was teaching, like I may have mentioned, um, people all across the world, not just in China. 
But I did have a Chinese student on that platform that actually happened to live in the same city that I was living in, mm. in Guangzhou. And they were one of my most consistent uh, students. And we took, I, I taught both the daughter and the father four times a week. Mm. And that was really good for me. And uh, that's one, actually, that was absolutely my longest student. I kept that going for, for I think, three years. Um, but also, there was, uh, it was reaching a point where, you know, Shama and I had some serious financial pressures where we are having a hard time making ends meet. Um, she was also teaching on italki and her enrollment was really dropping. Hmm. And it's just a, the way that the website works out is that they will kind of advertise you in, in waves. And so like you, you have these dips. And so she had this huge enrollment dip and things were getting kind of tough for us. I remember I lost a lot of weight during that hmm. time, not only from the, the stress, um, but also we, we were eating very, uh, we, we were not eating lavishly. Hmm. I can say that much. Yeah. And uh, I remember thinking I, something's got to change. I can't, you know, I can't just rely on on this this one teaching gig. So I remember seeing in our university halls there was a, a giant post board, and someone posted up, uh, you know, looking for uh, an, an English tutor. And I decided to message that person, and they eventually, you know, said like, oh, "Okay, I'm actually looking for a nephew of mine." Um, however, let me get you in touch with their, his teacher. Hmm. And I said, well, okay, sure. And um, it was actually through this method that I was able to get amazing teaching gigs for the rest of, of my of my time nice. there. So nice. I, I met a, a gentleman there who um, was able to get me consistent teaching gigs. But this is about the time where I started to teach um, actually go out to students' homes and give one-on-one lessons. And at that point, I you know, not only could charge RMB and not right, US dollars, right. or I've got to worry about transfer fees, but also I, I could definitely charge more. Yeah. And for that, you know, for that face-to-face, for that face-to-face experience. And so that absolutely changed things. Um, I was able to bring in a lot more and um, it required more work, I would say, um, because of you have to account for the travel time you know, taking taking the metro to and from, and some days or some evenings I had multiple lessons. So mm. I'm I'm traveling all across Guangzhou, which is a massive sprawling city, to get to those lessons. And um, yeah, I would say years two and three were definitely the busiest years of my life there for sure. Both just you know with the combination of uh, school getting harder, yeah, and also you know my my employment demanding more of me. But that was I, I got I really lucked out there. Yeah. I think that um, I'm glad that I you know I remember I walked past that ad a time or two, and I'm thinking ah eh, I think I'm okay, and then finally I just I just jumped <laughs> on it and I'm so glad I did because it it definitely gave me plenty of opportunities down the road. Yeah, so it sounds like it was a big benefit for you to be a native English speaker to use that as a way to make money. But what was it like to be one of the few I suppose foreigners? in that not only maybe in the place that you were living, but perhaps in the broader city or community as well, or were there a lot of other foreigners that you can interact with? Yeah, great. Cause actually I've got, I've got a lot to say about that. Um, without a doubt, it came with it, like obvious advantages and some disadvantages. Some of the disadvantages of course were, you would see some very mild forms of discrimination in some, in some, you know, but it's, it's very mild and it's seldom. However, or also it could be, for example, in the first community that I live in, 
I mentioned that for, for foreigners, it wasn't really allowed. And I think I, I got harassed often by the guards, although they knew the living situation. They knew I'm a resident there. Mm-hmm. They, they harassed me often um, saying, no, I don't live here. You know, even though I'm like, hey, we just talked yesterday. And I know you didn't forget me because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the only foreigner that lives You're here. You're probably know, pretty, so pretty memorable. <laughs> pretty memorable. Yeah. So, you know, th- that's some of the downside is, you know, and I think that goes for, for any traveling abroad situation is that you'll run into little instances of that. Um, but the pros was that I've always said that China is, is all about brands. Um, without a doubt, they're all about brands. And one thing that I noticed and, you know, we touched up on mm-hmm. a little bit before, you know, we started recording is that for me, I, although I taught so many gigs and it was, wasn't even through an agency or, or another company or a school, I was just completely, you know, self-contractor. And not once did a parent, a student, or even a corporate organization that I would help tutor or prepare, not once was I asked about my educational background. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, I potentially could have maybe, I don't even have my GED. I, there's no way to tell, but they, they never asked, they never cared. Mm-hmm. The fact that I was from America was enough. And they wanted, you know, either themselves or, or in this case, their daughter or their son, you know, to, you know, what a, what a luxury to have a, you know, a native American English speaker, um, you know, to teach. And so that's one thing that was definitely a great advantage. I do know, you know, I think that the cops, uh, the police in China are definitely notorious for not being very helpful people. Mm -hmm. However, China is also really cares about their image. Mm -hmm. And this is a a giant concept, even in general in Chinese, it calls, it's called mianzi. And it, it means face, you know, keep, you know, keeping face, giving face. And so one gentleman I knew actually at the university, he was in a completely different department than I was. Um, he actually had a little side hustle <laughs> where um, if a student, lo- like a native Chinese student lost their bike, if that native student went to a cop and said, hey, my bike was stolen, they'd say, forget about it. Sorry, kid. Mm. But then if, if, you know, here you are, this American, this obvious foreigner, and you go up to the, to the cop and say, someone stole my bike, they'd get right on it. They'd start <laughs> investigating it. And so this one guy had a side hustle where he's like, hey, if you've lost your bike, come to me. I'll right, say that, right. you know, that I lost it. And so um, <laughs> anyway, it's crazy. But, uh, but it's a thing. It's definitely a thing that they're um, – foreigners definitely get a lot of favor mm-hmm. um, in certain situations. And this goes all the way up to the corporate world. That there are, you know, there's often times where you find that there's definitely some discrepancies in payment, you know, in, in as far as, uh, you know, as far as payment and, um, you know, I think that uh, in earnings and things like that. So those are definitely, I'd say, the most obvious advantages mm-hmm. uh, that you'll get. And, uh, of course, you'll get a lot of stares. Yeah, yeah. You get stared at a lot. Um, did, that get, and- did that get old to you? No. It, well, I mean, it got old to me in the sense that I was truly oblivious to it after mm-hmm. a while. You know, I, I don't even see it. I don't even feel it. Because, you know, sometimes in the beginning, you know, you notice how many people are staring at you wherever you go. And not only can you see it, but you can feel it. Right. You know, I think that that's something that that's definitely palpable. You can You can really feel it. But after like, I'd say maybe going into my second year, you're just so used to it just from pure exposure that, uh, 
you don't even notice it anymore. At least I never did. It's, it was kind of no big deal. And I think I, I got extra looks because my, my girlfriend was a native Chinese mm-hmm. too. So, you know, that would also draw some looks as well, being, you know, an interracial couple. Right. Um, definitely got some looks. Yeah. But yeah, those, those were the most obvious um, benefits and um, kind of downsides right. to, to being a foreigner. So it sounds like things were progressing well from your first year to your third year. You were, you know, moving into better apartments. You were getting your situation set up. You were improving your Chinese. You were finding work and getting better work opportunities. So what was happening going into your fourth year? And ultimately, at the end of the day, why did you end up back in the United States, I guess, to ask that direct question? But it would be good to hear kind of the process of how things went from there. So going into my fourth year, and that would have been 2018, mm-hmm. um, was definitely the, the worst year I've ever had in my life, bar none. You know, at that time, it, it, everything started off very exciting. Uh, of course, it, I going into my, you know, I'll be going into my final year. And in China, the way that at least, you know, the university at the university level, the way that it works is your final year is solely spent on your graduation thesis. And I remember also that you've, you've got to apply and to, to get the professor, the mentor that you really want. You know, and the ones that have a lot of clout can maybe only just take one or two. Meanwhile, I think the, the, the ones that were not so desirable were they had to take the rest. So they were left with like <laughs> three or four students. So, um, but anyway, I remember being very excited. I got my, my, you know, my favorite professor, which I was confident I was going to get because he and I had just a great rapport. And yeah, I remember starting, you know, work on that and, and being very excited to, to know that, you know, I'm, I'm a year away from just stamping off my entire journey and saying that, you know, this is mission complete and, and very excited. But unfortunately, some unfortunate events unfolded. The, the first big thing I would say that definitely was the start of, of a lot of the mess was, you know, Sean May and I, we, we eventually split at that time. You know, we had been through so much together. This was, there's still a lot of good memories. Um, but uh, due to, you know, some people ask, you know, oh, did that, did that end due to cultural differences and, and things like that? And I could say partially, but I think the main issue was definitely more on just the personality level. You know, I think our personalities had, I think, you know, had, had pushed each other to 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 the brink, uh, where we mm. knew that, you know, we probably don't really have uh, a future that's going to be that's going to work out, you know, work out mm-hmm. well. And so, but unfortunately, that that breakup was absolutely messy, um, super messy, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of at the drop of the hat, I have to deal with moving out, getting a place of my own, and things like this, which. At the time, you know, luckily it was my final year. I'm, you know, I'm more than capable of doing. And so, I had moved out to a new location, even closer uh, to my university, and you know, a little modest place. And I remember um, first going to a- an agency to help me find a location. And um, you know, I gave them my, as far as my budget and and everything, and and, and my ideal locations. And I found a, a great unit. And uh, I remember telling the agent that I said, you know, of course, being a, a foreign student, I said it, it is it is absolutely crucial that this um, landlord can legally rent out her location to me. Um, I said, else, you know, elsewise, I'm uh, I'm I'm looking at a lot of trouble because the way that it works is 
all of my classmates, um, or all of us, all of our visas expire every mm-hmm. September 20th, and we've got to get it renewed every year. However, we usually come back to China after summer break, um, roughly around September 1st. Anyway, I um, and then that time, of course, coming back, you know, I've got to get, uh, I've got to get a you know a new unit, and I've got to get everything all settled to go and get ready for this new year. Anyway, I talking with this agent, um, I kind of painted the picture for her, and she said that yes, she says uh, okay, I, I understand that you've got roughly 20 days to renew your visa, and and yes, this this landlord she has, you know, rented it out to foreigners before. She has all the proper documentation, and I said that's that's great, that's fantastic. And so late, I think the next day I signed the contract. Um, unfortunately, the actual landlord herself uh, could not be present. She worked in Beijing at the time, so she had just someone represent her. And you know, and I remember talking with him and and, and kind of confirming that they can, um, you know, that they can legally rent their unit to me and everything like that. So, and this is key. This is really important detail because I think maybe the the next day or the day after. I took all the paperwork, um, my contract, everything, to go to the local police station. And this is where you have to uh, apply for a temporary residency permit. Mm-hmm. And you must need, you, you need this documentation to renew your visa. And this is very strict. I think that China has this in place. They want to, they want to assure that all of their foreign students are staying in places that are legal, clean, you know, you name it. Now, for my previous three years, this was not too much of an obstacle because if you are living with a Chinese, then there's no issue. You go to the police station, they go with you, and they say, oh, okay, I see this is your living arrangements, fine. You get your stamp, you get your um, temporary residency permit, and then you move on to the next step, which is going to the Entry Exit Bureau or that's entry bureau, and then you can um, apply for or to renew your visa. Mm-hmm. Well, this time things were a little different. Obviously, I'm on my own. You know, I'm now moved into my new place. I bring the documentation, and they said, uh, they said, well, you're missing a document. And I said, um, okay, which document is that? And they said that you are missing. Um, it's a little strange to translate. Essentially, it, it's it is a it is documentation. That proves mm-hmm. that this landlord actually uses her property to rent out to other people, and a like in almost all Chinese know that ninety percent, roughly, and I'm just spitballing here, but roughly, ni- it feels like ninety percent of landlords in China don't have this, and it's to avoid taxes. Mm. It's to evade taxes, and this is a very common thing. So if you lease out your unit, it's always kind of under the table. You know, right. but you do it through contracts. You can protect yourself as a landlord, but yet you, you know, as far as documentation, you definitely do things under the table. Right. So, whenever I found that out, I immediately called my landlord, and I told her my situation. I said, "Hey, uh, well, you know, where's this document? This is the this is the document. This is a crucial document." And she said, "Uh, well, what's that? You know, just kind of hmm. playing stupid with me." And and I realized from that moment, I'm in a situation. So I said, okay, I, I see what's going on here. So then I told her, I said, look, I'm too familiar with the situation. I understand that you know you don't have this because you don't want to pay taxes. I get that. I said, how about this? How about I give you a couple extra hundred RMB every month to cover that taxes? I don't mind. I said that right now I just need a location. 
and, my, and I'm on a time crunch at this point. Right. And so we came to an agreement. She said that, yes, I'd be, I'd be willing to do that. She said, um, but because I am not in Guangzhou, I have to go to an agency to help me um, apply for this. And um, you know, she says it's going to take a couple of days, but she says, I'm going to do it tonight. And I'm going to send you confirmation that, and I'm going to update you with the entire process. And I said, thank you. You know, like I'm, I'm glad that we could come to an agreement. Now, at the meantime, I'm looking at roughly 15 or so days before my visa expires. And um, to try to cover all my bases, I contact my university's uh, foreign student office. Mm-hmm. And there are two teachers there that their sole job is to help foreign students renew or apply for their student visa. It's their sole job. I contacted both of them to let them know my situation. I said that, you know, I've got a, I, I've been more or less cheated by my landlord here, but we, we've come to an agreement. She's working on getting this documentation finished. It's going to take a little bit of time. I said, meanwhile, you know, I realized that I'm on a clock here. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, what, what do you advise? You know, I really need your help here. And, you know, all this is through an app called WeChat, which is by far mm-hmm. away the most common um, chatting platform um, on in China. And so uh, I remember conversing with them, telling my situation, and they all said the exact same thing. They said, they said, Jeff, look, don't sweat this. I know that you're really sweating it. I understand this is very, you know, this is very concerning. But they said, you know, trust us. We know how things work. They said that, um, you know, this is not an issue. Just wait till she finishes um, the application process. You get your document. Go to the um, police station. Get your temporary residency permit. Come back to us. We'll get you a, a scheduled meeting with the exit entry bureau right away. You'll be fine. And I said that. However, I said, well, what happens if my visa expires? And you know, and I said, what then? I said that that's got to be terrible. And they said, no, not in China. It's not that big of a deal. They said, trust me, that probably won't happen. But if it does, you know, we've got your back, and things are mm-hmm. fine. So I said, okay. And then from that point, a lot of weird things happened. Hmm. Um, first off, a I think the highest recorded typhoon in history hit in 2018. It first hit the Philippines. Hmm. And then in that week, hit us. And that slowed down everything. Businesses had to, sl- to shut down. The school had to shut down. There was, there was damage everywhere. And so that definitely made things very precarious, where I lost some time um, through that, where everything was shut down. And then it's coming down to crunch time. We're now roughly two, three days away. Mm. And my landlord messages me and says, Jeffrey, and again, she's been sending me screenshots over time of her application process and and everything like that. And She said that, Jeffrey, I don't know what happened. They said that it's due to a clerical error, but my application for this um, document failed, and I'm going to have to do this again. I'm going to have to go through this process again. And I told her, I said, like, I, I don't have the time for that. You know, I, and she said that I've, I've, I've rushed this. They know that I need to have this now. They said that they can get it to me in two days, and they promise. So I said, I said, well, they, they better, you know, because like I'm, yeah. I'm running yeah. out of issues now. Anyway, to go ahead and just fast forward. I do reach doomsday, which is the day mm. that my visa expires. Could could I could I ask one quick question first? Did sure. you consider or try to find another apartment that would already have that 
set up or I mean, that's just the only thing that I would have thought of. And I'm sure you thought of that, but yes. So that's the issue is like I mentioned previously that 90% of landlords don't have this documentation. Right. So you, it's a wild goose chase. It is a wild yeah. goose chase and it is things that I looked at and it's one of those, cause like even finding an apartment in general, even finding that one took a lot of time. So I knew that I don't have the luxury of just going on the hunt again, you know? And so there's a lot of things that kind of went into that, that decision. Um, because also at that time I'd spent a lot of money to do the move for the down right. payment, all that thing, you know, all these things that, that went into it, that for me to get that money back and then move, it, it was just a logistical nightmare yeah. and the time didn't really allow for it. Got it. So then, you know, we reach the, um, you know, like I mentioned doomsday where my V6 fires and, you know, I'm almost kind of sitting there like, you know, if, you know, am I going <laughs> to poof and disappear, you know? Right. And you know, and I'm, I'm messaging my landlord and she says that like, you know, they, they promised they'd have it, but you know, to me, I don't know what's going on. And on one hand, I, I do feel like, I mean, I was already more or less cheated by her, no doubt, um, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. But when it came to this particular process, she, she showed a lot of documentation that she was doing this, you know, unless she went through a lot of Photoshop effort that, you know, this was a process that was underway and just reached a lot of hiccups, but, but anyway, I went through the entire day and nothing, you know, like I'm, it seems like things are going to be fine. You know, I'm, I'm trying to remain calm about the situation. And it wasn't until 1030 uh, that night, I got a call from one of those two teachers that I consulted with about my situation. The ones with, you know, sole job mm-hmm. is to help assist students to apply for their um, student visa. She called me. I think she had a crying baby in her arm. She's not even in the office. She calls and says, Jeffrey, you've got to leave the country right now. You've got to leave before it strikes midnight. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said that, Jeffrey, just I've gotten a call from you know our office leader. They have just discovered your situation. And they said mm-hmm. that it is extremely serious and you've got to leave right now or else there will be some serious consequences. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, what, what consequences are we talking about here? I said that I thought we talked about this very clearly. You know, and she said that, um, she says, all I can say is that it is highly likely that the university will expel you. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. You absolutely have to be kidding me. This is not what we talked about. You know, this is not what neither, you know, we didn't talk about this. I also spoke with the other teacher. There was no talks about this. And we talked in depth. And, you know, you, you promised me that there'd be no consequences and to trust me. And I said that this is ridiculous. And I said that not only that, but from my location to get to the international airport is already a two hour drive. I said, logistically, yeah. I, I cannot do this. And she said, you've just got to find a way. You've got to find a way. And I said that I, I'm telling you it's impossible. I said that the best thing I can do is I can leave tomorrow. And she said, you know, you just you got to do what you got to do. And, you know, just but she said, like, just please try to find a way to get out of there. And I'm just shocked at this point. I'm absolutely shocked. You know, and I'm panicking. I'm like, what's going on? And so the next day, I raced to the uh, exit entry bureau and I just told them my situation. I said, look, you know, I'm a student here at Sunnyside University. I said that, um, you know, I've been keeping tabs with them, updating them on the entire situation. You know, I've been advised to do this. Um, Come to find out now the situation is, you know, is that. And you know, what do I do? And she said, you know, Jeffrey, she said, the, you know, the, the, the officer that I was speaking with, she said, don't worry about this. She says, honestly, you've got about two weeks time where you can leave through the Bayoun International Airport. 
you know, or you can take a train to Hong Kong and um, you will not be stopped. You won't be fined, you know, nothing like that. Mm -hmm. So I I said, uh, okay, okay, that's, that's good to know. So, um, so I immediately raced back to my same day. I, I raced back to my university and I'm going to the foreign student office and I'm just, I'm just telling them my situation. I said, look, I've spoke with them. I said, I've already got a flight heading back to the United States. Um, later this evening, it's the earliest one I could get. I said that, um, you know, I've spoke with the exit entry bureau. They said there won't be any issues. I won't be fined, et cetera, et cetera. And at this point, you know, previously I had always felt like the foreign student program was the redheaded stepchild of the university. They didn't want us. Mm. They needed us for national rankings. It was a requirement right. in China. Right. But I could tell they didn't care. I know they didn't care. Mm. And we'd always felt that. But it wasn't until this moment where I'm fighting for my educational future that I realized how little they cared about me or about any of us. And, you know, I am trying to talk to any leader, teacher that I can find, and I can't find any help mm. anywhere. Mm. And not only that, but the, the university did a great job of hiding all their leadership. Any leader mm. or any figure that has any kind of power in the in the the university is hidden. It's just the man behind the curtain, a steel curtain that you can never get past. So anyway, I, I bounced around to multiple teachers, professors, uh, you know, office workers, you name it, and no one could help me in this situation. So I eventually flew back to the United States, mm-hmm. and uh, from the United States, I fought. I just fought and fought. I sent emails. I made expensive phone calls. I tried everything I could to get to any kind of leader. And that's where the next big change in my life happened. I found that I'm being completely ignored, which is kind of a thing in China in general. It's like if you can't handle something in person, no one's going to get to you. No one's going to care about you. You've got to be you know, in someone's face to get, to get things done. And I realized this, but now it's tricky because I need to stay in China for an extended period of time, and I need to fight for this. I can't get another student visa because you know that is sponsored by the university, mm. which is already discussing expulsion. So then I'm thinking, what can I do? And this is where the that um, those two students I had, that father daughter duo that I'd had for three years, right. came in. And I, at that time, I'd already grown very close with that family. Um, I'd visited them multiple times, and um, the father's name's Mark, and he and I had always considered each other to be just great friends, not just a student-teacher relationship, but just great friends. And he was actually starting his own company in his home city of Xi'an, and he said, Jeffrey, why don't you come work for us? Hmm. You know, come over here. And he said that, um, you know, and he says, I'll permit you to fly down to Guangzhou you know, every once in a while and see if you can't, you know, take care of that, of your business. And, and I, I was just, I was so grateful. I said, this is, this is fantastic. So in, um, in Chinese, there's an idiom that goes, uh, which means it's actually, there's a story behind the idiom, but long story short, it's an old man who had a son that, um, there was a, there was a war at the time he had every, you know, son of eligible age had to go off to war. And which, which actually broke his heart, and he never he didn't want that to happen. However, um, one night a terrible storm came came and like absolutely just burned down his stable, and all the horses just ran off. So he lost like all of his horses, which were you know very prized possessions at the time, and which was a terrible thing. But 
it made it so that his son couldn't go off to war. Come to find out that after the war ended, every son of the village had died, but his son. And so this idiom is often brought up in times where something really terrible out of just disaster is born also incredible alternate opportunities. And this is absolutely one of those things that was um, something that I'll be forever grateful for, where I was able to go to Xi'an and, and work in his company, and which is kind of a, a whole side story. But the important thing is that I was given opportunities to go back and, and fight. Mm. And I fought for six months. They mm. did not give me a decision for six months. And then they finally just expelled me, which to this day, I, I can't explain. I can't understand how the university could abandon me. Especially, mm. this wasn't like I just dropped this in their lap. I had, you know, kept with with those that needed to be kept in touch with. I did it to the T, to the letter. Right. And I even, I even, you know, I even fought by using our, the, you know, saved logs on WeChat. I mean, I had proof that this is how I was advised by the university, by professionals right. in the university. This is how I was advised, and I followed it to the letter. And now you're saying that I'm going to be expelled. You know, like right. this, this is absolutely insanity. So. Anyway, um, that was heartbreaking. It was devastating, yeah. you know, and, and and absolutely crushing. And um, that was a big blow. Um, that was definitely a big blow that has had a ripple effect even today. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, I did gain incredible, just invaluable experience working for Mark's company, um, which was an IoT tech development company, and he needed help. They were going to expand into some international markets, and they really needed my help. And that's where I came in and did a lot of translation for them. I did a lot of market research for them. And I even flew to the headquarters often to kind of help with some international sales and kind of, you know, connect dots and things like that. And um, it, it was an unforgettable experience. I got to learn Chinese business culture, which is something normally mm. you don't get to touch. And, you know, because even those, even expats that do work in China, if it's a, high, if it's a very international company, you may not touch real true chinese business culture um but right. for me i was able to do that it was an incredible experience but but even that allowed me to get closer with mark and his family and i got to do a lot of amazing things through that too and just unforgettable things that um you know I, i'm i'm just so grateful for but eventually what led me to coming back to the states mm-hmm. was a combination of things first i wanted to finish my degree mm. that was that was key the second thing is is that I left China maybe a little bit earlier than I wanted to. So we're now looking at 2018, and the trade war between China and the United States was at a fever pitch. Right. And at this time, I, you know, and, and to, to to give a little bit of background, I was very close with all of my coworkers, great people, fantastic people. We did a lot of things outside of the work. We were just we were just uh, had a great relationships. However. It wasn't until 2019, we're looking at roughly May, June, around May and June of, of, of mm-hmm. 2019, that things started to change where mm-hmm. I believe um, you know, former President Trump had you know, made some executive orders that was going to change the landscape of tech and sharing of tech from American companies to Chinese companies. And one area that this was going to at the time, looked like it was going to be threatened greatly. Was the Android operating system, which was mm-hmm. you know a, a product of Google and um, Huawei, which is one of their biggest phone companies, a massive company in China. Their operating system is 
um, completely Android based. And so this was going to really handicap them. And you know, working in a tech firm in in China, I, I think that that especially hit home to them that they felt like this was a very ugly blow. And so you know, and I'm the sole American sole foreigner in this company. And all of a sudden, mm. in our even like our outside of work and actual work related WeChat groups, they are starting to send videos with anti American sentiment, with boycott American products, with you know a lot of things like this. And at first, yeah, I was uncomfortable. I was. I, I felt you know like these are my you know these are my good friends, and I still to this day don't think there was any ill message or ill will in these acts but it did make me wonder at what point will this evolve to something maybe worse so that's what kind of pressed the envelope for me and said Mm. i think let's try to move back to the states Mm. you know this summer and which i did i talked with mark and i let him know that um you know that i i think that i'm going to head back and he knew that we were going to do that he he knew i wasn't going to stay long term you know he knew that i was i was i was there to to fill a role and to help them with their international expansion and which I had had you know I definitely accomplished and so he knew that uh, my my days were were running short and that's eventually what kind of really pushed me to move back to the states yeah I mean it's an amazing uh, story and obviously it must have been quite crushing at different points I'm glad you were able to find some silver linings out of all of it but it's it's really yeah I'm sure it's intense to take in as a listener, but I'm sure yeah. it was a hundred or a thousand times. It was uh, world rocking. It was yeah. world rocking for sure. And so how do you look back on your time overall in China? I mean, if you could sum it up, which I'm sure is really hard because you've had so many diff- different experiences and even within those years, let alone the relationships and your schooling and the housing and, you know, you've had the great times drinking the Baijiu, but you've <laughs> You've had all these amazing stories and experiences, but but how do you how do you sum it up? How do you think about it when you look back at it now, a little bit removed? My impression of China has definitely evolved over time. Now that I've been removed, you know, initially there was a lot of bitterness. Mm-hmm. There was, and I, I I can't lie, you know, there was a lot of bitterness, you know. But and yeah, I I experienced some some terrible things um, that I wouldn't wish upon anybody. That, like I said, still have lasting effects today, you know. But I think, without question, though, um, without question, I'm so glad I experienced those four years. I wouldn't. It, it is the highlight of my life, for sure. Thus far, it is an absolute highlight. I would say that there are incredible memories that I'll keep with me for a lifetime. There are so many adventures that I went on. There are so many funny stories. Incredible people. Incredible people that I have met. Mm. But also, if anything, I can look back at that. And although I didn't get the outcome that I had wished for, mm-hmm. that for me, it showed perseverance. It showed adaptability, which is something that I always believed I had in myself. But until you really test it, you don't know yourself. But right. in that time, I saw myself fight harder than I've ever fought. I've, I saw myself accept any consequence, any burden to keep fighting on. And I can't hang my head on that. I yeah. mean, that's something that I think is an absolute huge positive. And even if I could market China as an experience to someone else, 
I'd say even if you could have the experience that I had, that it would be the best thing you've done with your life. Um, mm. I still strongly believe that. I've met you know people that will forever change my life. I've changed for mm. sure. You know, usually for the better, but uh, you know, in in times that maybe the bitterness creeps up again, I I think on that. You know, and I remind myself that yeah. like you know these what I did was was fantastic. The alternative would yeah. have been instead of you know because what I what I'd done is I decided to take those two years that I studied here in the states and just drop them really because I started yeah. as a freshman in China. That was a sacrifice. I sold my car. I sold everything I had to go to China. So it was an all or nothing situation. And right. but if I hadn't have done that, who knows? Maybe I'd be working in some office in accounting. I think that's what I was taking at the time in a cubicle. You know, I don't I can't guarantee I'd be that happy with you know. Right. So without a doubt, it was a fantastic experience and something that no other place could give me. Hmm. No other place could give me. So did it did it strike you the fact that you went so far from American culture, like you went, maybe not as far as possible, but maybe potentially as far as possible. Like you went, you went in the deep, deep end. I went so. in the deep, deep end. Yeah, no, uh, with, without a doubt, you know, without a doubt, you know, you often hear that you know, getting out there and traveling is always good for the soul. It's always good for exposure. You know, to learn different cultures, of course. You know, the the cliches, but. For me, China felt like another planet. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel like another country, you know, because like, I'd been to some other countries before. I've been to Mexico. I've been to Italy. Um, I'd I'd say Canada, but I mean, let's be honest, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you couldn't come <laughs> any closer. But uh, you know, and they they all felt fun, exciting, different. But China was a, a totally different planet to me. Yeah. Um, completely different. There were hints of Western culture, hints, but at best, those hints are like in brands. Like you see, maybe familiar brands. You'll see a McDonald's, maybe. But outside yeah. of that, the way that they live, their values, the education system, business, their culture. I mean, it's it's the food. The food. Totally <laughs> different. But, you know, I think one of the more for the most foreign thing that I could touch was there are two different instances um for Chinese New Year that mm-hmm. um I went to a village and I spent the whole thing in a very rural, rundown village. And talk about stairs. It's one thing to get a couple mm. eyes and looks in the big city. But when I went right. to the, I, I'm pretty sure I'm the first American, maybe even foreigner, to go to these two to these two villages. Lived in arguably just as bad a situation as my first year. Um it was it was it was pretty rough, but you know, seeing just that quiet rural Chinese life was amazing. You know, it it, it it gives you appreciation. It gives you perspective. You know, you get to see work ethic in a totally new definition. You know, and and that's you know that was talk about that was like the deep end of the deep end. You know, if you could right, add right. layers, no doubt that <laughs> right. was the you know. So that was that was pretty wild. But uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I did. I, I went to you know maybe next to say North Korea. I mean, you're you're talking yeah. about a pretty uh, a place that's pretty different from the states. So, right. Yeah. And just, I want to actually, I think as a closing sort of part of this to go back to one thing you said at the very beginning of our conversation, which was really about when you get to be an old man, you know, grandpa, 80 years old, whatnot, you want to yeah. be able to look back and really have no regrets. And yeah. this is exactly, 
I mean, this was not something we talked about before and I missed bringing it up in the beginning, but this is exactly how I feel about my life. And I mean, at this stage, I don't know if there will be the kids or the grandkids to be able to share the stories with, but I always thought of it as I want to, you know, when I become, if and when, if I'm lucky enough to become an old man, that I can look back on my life and really think that I've gotten, you know, the most out of it that I possibly can. There's no regrets. I've done everything I wanted to do. Even if I don't even view it as regrets for having done stuff that you quote unquote regret, but as you're saying, regretting not doing something. So it sounds to me like you're on a good path toward that. Would you agree? Oh yeah. No, no question. I mean, despite, despite the trials and tribulations, I do carry a very positive outlook you know, it's a tough time in general, you know, mm-hmm. being, uh, going through 2020, which was rough and 2021 seeming to have its own unique challenges, you know, yeah, times are, times are tough just in general, you know, choosing Chinese as a background mm-hmm. was, it, it's awkward right now. I won't say it was a terrible choice, but it is awkward now with the geopolitical changes and, and COVID and, and, you know, you name it, but in due time, there won't be any regrets. And like you mentioned, even the things that Maybe even out loud, you may say is a regret. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you it's a package deal. You know, and yeah. <laughs> I think once you realize it's a package deal, you realize that that you know you don't understand regret. What regret really means, you know, and and so I can't call those things that maybe in bitterness I might say like, man, I regret this or going to that university. You know, I heard the other universities treat their students better, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, each, you know, your life is unique to you, and you know, these this experience, although not what I had hoped. Um, and that how I would have authored it is still an extremely positive experience in that absolutely when I if I'm lucky enough to grow old, I definitely won't look back at this and say, Man, was that a mistake? You know, so. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it's not yeah, exactly. Not something you would think, of course. Definitely. And um just to kind of wrap it up here, so what are you thinking about in terms of your next plans? I mean, obviously it's a tumultuous time. It's hard to know what the next day holds. And as you said, it's difficult yeah. with your Chinese background right now. But if you were given the opportunity sometime down the road in the next few years to go back to China, would you take it? Or, you know, how do you feel about it as you think about it as potential and having yeah. an impact in your future as well? Sure. Uh, no question. I, I, I wish I could go back tomorrow, even if it's just a visit. Mm. You know, I miss the food. I miss the culture. Um, and I, I also miss kind of the life uh, there too, for sure. You know, I still have a lot of friends, a lot of expats that do live out there still. And I've heard reports that, you know, there's definitely more cases of discrimination mm-hmm. uh, against uh, specifically Westerners. And I've heard multiple accounts now. Um, and so I, I do think that right now with just, you know, tensions being high, I don't know if I would go anytime very soon. Right. But I, I would absolutely want to return. You know, maybe even take some friends with me or take some family and uh, just explore some of the places that I didn't get to explore, you know, or even just show my old stomping grounds. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, so, yeah, without a doubt, I'm I already miss it. And um, I absolutely plan to go back for certain. And as far as the future. Yeah. You know, like I like we mentioned that, you know, it's a tumultuous time. It is very tricky. And, um, you know, currently I'm I'm still out there job hunting, looking, doing everything I can to, to gain employment. Um, so, you know, right now that's kind of the first step. It's kind of hard to, to plan for the future, but I, you know, right. I, I do have, I do have, you know, some, some loose plans that I hope to carry out, but uh, I'm trying to take it one step at a time. 
Right on. Sounds like a great strategy and, and a good way to think about it. So how can our listeners find out more about you and keep up to date with your trials and tribulations, your travels, uh, all that good stuff? Yeah, well, uh, to be honest, I, I'm not on social media that often lately, I've noticed. Um, but, uh, you know, you could follow my Instagram if you want. Uh, I, I rarely use it, but uh, that's a Jeff Hall, H-A-L-L, 87. Um, and my email is actually the same handle. It's jeffhall87 at Yahoo. Um, so, if, you know, if anyone wants to shoot me a question or, you know, if they've got any questions about China or Chinese or anything, I'd be, I'd welcome any and all inquiries. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story today, Jeff. It's been great to catch up on a personal level, but also to really get an even closer view into the amazing times that you had in China, the highs and the lows. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. So look forward to keeping in touch and talk to you soon. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps new listeners find us and lets us know that we are putting out content that you appreciate. You can quickly find out where and how to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash expatempire. If you know anyone who would appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it so we can continue growing the global expat empire community. Keep up to date on new expat empire podcast episodes by pressing the subscribe button in the podcasting app of your choice. You can also visit expatempire.com and sign up for our newsletter to get our free ebook, Top 10 Tips for Moving Abroad, right now. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Expat Empire, so be sure to follow us there. We are currently offering free consulting calls to discuss your moving plans and how Expat Empire can help you to achieve them. Please visit our website to schedule your call today. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode in the coming weeks.